for this amazing privilege it is to get together with you. Together, we are so grateful for the body of Christ and uh, for every single person you bring here each week, and uh, we're just so thankful for each one and all the precious people uh, in your kingdom. So we just thank you for today and all of you already done, and we just ask that you continue to bless each one with your presence uh, as we continue on in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. God is so good. Holy Ghost. Go figure. Sometimes he just hijacks the meeting and turns out to be 20 after 3. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> if you guys, uh, just so you know, if we end up going a little over 4 and you got to go, no, I'm not, we won't be offended. Okay, just so you know, um, because we are starting a bit late on the message. And today, wrapping up my series on the kingdom of God. Yes, it's been a journey. For those of you who are new, we've been doing this since November. I've loved 10 previous messages talking all about the kingdom of God. And we could probably go on for eternity talking about the kingdom of God. But I'm going to be moving on to another series and what I wanted to do today is, uh, for those of you who've been here tracking with us uh, weekly and have heard most of them, this is what I wanted to do is review and summarize, give a review and summary, picking out some of the more important parts of what we've covered since November in one session, because for those of you who've been here, we've been, uh, and I'll get into this more in, in a minute, but this topic of the kingdom of God is absolutely fundamentally crucial for understanding the entire ministry and teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus, his main message was the kingdom of God, period. That's what he's all about. That's what he talked about the most. All of, a lot of his teachings, uh, parables, admonitions, apocalyptic uh, stuff is all about the kingdom of God. That's all he talked about. The first thing he did was, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the good news. Hey, so if, if we don't talk about the kingdom of God, we're kind of going to miss a lot of what Jesus is talking about, because that's what his message is all about. And in fact, he told us to go and preach the kingdom just as well. Okay, and so it's just so crucial, because not only was it the fundamental message of Jesus, um, it's fundamental to understand this in order to understand the whole New Testament. And we've talked about that these last few weeks. And so anyway, uh, if you're interested, if you haven't been here but would like to hear previous messages, you, I, we post these notes um, on Facebook and you can, and uh, the joyful tidings and stuff, you can get them. Uh, if you can go on our website, we have all the previous messages, just so you know. Um, so I have that link there. But I kind of got ahead of myself, I already talked about how crucial this is. And what I wanted to say is all the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels in particular, when they summarize the entire teaching and ministry of Jesus Christ, they always, 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 without question, do so in terms of the kingdom of God. Okay? And I have some references up there. Um, every time Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they give a summary of Jesus' uh, ministry and teaching, they always do in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to show you one in a minute. Um, but since that's true, since it's the, the message of Jesus Christ... It's so important for us to, to uh, not only teach on it, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be preaching the kingdom, right? That's our mandate. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, that the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom will go to all nations, and then the end will come. 
Okay, so we've been preaching a partial message because we've been, now salvation in Christ is part of the kingdom message, but it's not the entirety of the message, right? And so how are we going to preach the kingdom? How are we going to disciple people in the kingdom if we don't know what the kingdom is? And that's my next point is the problem with uh, the king, this is that it's probably, in my opinion, one of the more, more misunderstood concepts in the teaching of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And because of that, it, it often gets neglected in the church. I mean, when I first started this series, I remember asking how many of you have even ever heard of a message on the kingdom of God. And there's a number of you who hadn't even heard one message in your entire life on it. Now, you hear people give lip service to it, right? You hear that all the time. Like, we're doing this for the sake of the kingdom. We're spreading the kingdom, whatever. What does the kingdom of God even mean, though? What does that mean when you say, I'm spreading the gospel or whatever, or the kingdom of... Okay, so... Um, the key, now, the key question then is what actually is the kingdom of God? And that's what we've been trying to answer this series, right? And hopefully those of you who've been here know what the answer is now. But if you haven't, that's okay because we're going to be talking about that today. So the question is what is, does the kingdom of God mean? When we say, when Jesus said the kingdom of God's at hand, what does that actually mean? mean. Now, like I said, every single gospel, when they summarize the entirety of Jesus' teaching and his ministry, they do it in the kingdom of God. And we've been focusing on Mark's summary, okay? So this is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. What, uh, and this is his summary of Jesus' ministry and teaching, okay? So it says, now after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Okay, so if you break that up, okay, there's three things. There's three components to that. The time is fulfilled, number one. The kingdom of God is at hand, number two. Repent and believe the good news. So in this series, we really focused on number one for the first three or four messages. Then we went on to number two and haven't talked much about number three yet. I'm going to do it in the next series because it's so applicable that we're going to be talking about next. But that has to do with uh, kingdom ethics. That's not the next series, but how to live this out. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel, okay, of the kingdom. Now, like I said, the kingdom of God is relatively neglected in the church, at least in my experience. I know there's some people, that's like their message, right? <laughs> like Miles Monroe. How many of you remember him? Yeah, it was a tragedy. He passed away a couple years ago. That guy, man. When I heard him talk about the kingdom 10 years ago, I was like, this is amazing. Uh, so there's one, one here and there who just, that's like their life message. But in the, for the most part, kind of neglected. And our problems, like I said, I think the problem is we have, there's a lot of misunderstandings with it. And our problems really stem from two things. The first is that there's often a misunderstanding of the actual term kingdom. Okay, and then we talked about realm versus reign. If you've been here, you know all this, but uh, for the sake of those who haven't, just when we, in our, typically when we hear the word kingdom, we think of a geographical location, don't we? Like the kingdom of England. It's a place, the kingdom, geography. 
Jesus is not using the word in the sense of geography. And that's where people miss it. It has nothing to do with geography at all. Nothing. He's using it in the sense of reign, not realm. And in English, and it's the same with Greek and Hebrew, it's used in both ways. You'll recognize this example I always give, just for the sake of clarity. Listen to this sentence. During the kingdom of George III, the American colonies revolted against the kingdom of England. Okay, during the kingdom of George III, the American colonies revolted against the kingdom of England. In the first, word, the first usage, what could you replace kingdom with? Reign. During the reign of George III, right? There's only one time period of 25 years when George III reigned his kingdom, but the kingdom of England was before and after, the geography. Does that make sense? It's in that sense that Jesus is using the word term kingdom, the reign of God, the rule of God. It's a time when God rules sovereignly. Because you just think about the language of this passage we just read. The time is fulfilled. Talking about a period of time, isn't he? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Both of these are primarily temporal terms dealing with time, aren't they? Not geography. It's not spatial. It's not, he's not talking about land. He's talking about a time when God rules and reigns sovereignly. Okay, so the kingdom has to do with this time category and therefore ruling and reigning, not realm. Okay, it's a time when God rules. In fact, that could have been translated the time of God's rule is at hand. The time, not the, the kingdom of God, the time of God's rule. That's what it means, okay? So, just said that. So what is important for us to understand is that this is primarily doing with the end of time. Capital E, end. <laughs> the end, okay? When God exercises his sovereignty and rules supremely over all of his creation, talking about the end period. Okay, so think about this. The time is fulfilled. The word fulfilled means there was a promise that's being fulfilled, right? It's dealing with fulfillment. So if there's something that's being fulfilled, that means that there's promises that are being fulfilled now when Jesus says that. So this suggests that the kingdom of God is in some way related to Jewish end time expectations, right? And must be understood in terms of Jewish messianic hopes. Because Jesus is saying, see, all those promises are being fulfilled right now, here and now, with me. So in order to understand what he was even talking about when he said the time is fulfilled, we have to go back, right, to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, to understand what, what he's referring to. Because the fact of the matter is, when John the Baptist came on the scene, and he said, the ki repent, the kingdom of God is near, Everybody knew what he was talking about. No one was like, what do you mean the kingdom of God? They're all like, oh my goodness, the kingdom's near? I got to repent and get right with God, right? Because they all knew what that meant. 2,000 years later, we don't really know what that means, 
okay? Because there was a whole period of 400 years before John the Baptist where this language and usage became known and everybody had that as a framework so they knew what he meant when he said the kingdom of God's at hand, okay? So according to their end time expectations, we're talking about contemporary Jews of, of Jesus and John the Baptist, there was cons- relative consensus on what that meant, okay? And according to the expectations, they're looking for the Messiah to come and end history completely, to bring an end to this present world and to usher in an entirely new era, okay? To just bring an end completely, just like we're expecting now at the second coming of Christ. You read the book of Revelation, and that's essentially what they were thinking that would happen the first time Jesus came, the Messiah came, okay? The end would come. Okay, so to understand this, you have to, like I said, go back to the Old Covenant and look at, okay, what does this mean? Because if you know your Bibles, if you think about it, the kingdom of God is almost not mentioned, it's pretty much not mentioned at all in the Old Testament. You think about it. Never he's talk- so how is it that everybody in Jesus' day knew what he's talking about? Because during this 400 years between Malachi and John the Baptist, a whole bunch of stuff happened, and everybody essentially had the same idea of what that meant. And we, we talked about, and we're going to talk about it briefly today, really briefly, because it's so important understanding the kingdom. Okay? So, if you're interested, the first two messages I spent on this, talking about the Old Testament, Scripture, and then the intertestamental period. So if you're interested, go, you can listen to them, but I'm going to give a brief, brief, brief Summary, just because it's so important. Like I said, today is a summary review of the essential matter. Because the next, everything, the New Testament, our understanding of every New Testament writer is totally uh, predicated on understanding this. Every New Testament writer had this as their framework. Okay? And so it's so, if you, that's why I'm spending so much time on this, repeating myself a lot in different ways, so that we leave this series knowing at least... This is what the kingdom of God is all about. So the purpose of today's message is kind of giving you the highlights of what I think, hopefully walking away from this series, we're going to remember some of it, okay? So, a brief summary, okay. So all the way through the Old Testament, and especially the prophets, the hope for the future new covenant is a hope, and they called it that's within history called the latter days. How many of you recognize that language? The latter days. Okay, so this idea developed, especially in the prophets, where they said, God's going to do something within history. Okay, within history, he's going to essentially step on the scene and restore the fortunes of David in a historical sense. So you guys read uh, some of the New Testament our Old Testament, rather, you read Kings and Chronicles, always looking back to David and the promises that he's going to restore a king just like David, because that was the golden age of Israel, and it's going to be awesome. It's a day when judgment's going to come, he's going to, God's going to overtake his enemies, and he's going to restore a messianic figure right in the lineage of David, the son of David. Whoa. So then, uh, <laughs> I almost knocked over my computer. So God's going to put a new David on the throne, and that David's going to rule in righteousness. Now, the prophets came along, and they took this future hope that Israel had, and they gave it a name, calling it the Day of the Lord. You recognize that? The Day of the Lord, the Day of Yahweh, the Day of the Lord. Okay? So this idea developed, and they gave it this name, the Day of the Lord. So whenever you hear the Day of the Lord, that's what they're talking about. 
Now the future day of, it was a day of judgment, first of all, and secondly, salvation. And it would be characterized by righteousness and justice. They're the foundation of his throne. Now, 95% of the prophetic oracles in the Old Testament are judgment. You just read Jeremiah. It's true. 10% are salvation. So they were expecting this day of judgment to come, this time of judgment, and then restoration and salvation. Now, uh, like I said, feel free to go back and listen to that if you want more information, but I'm going to move on because what happened during the intertestamental period, when I say that, this is the time between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and John the Baptist. There's 400 years of silence, right? Like, if you think about it, you read the Bible, what happened during that 400 years? You would think that nothing happened because there's no, you know, books of the Bible, at least not in our Bible. There is in the Catholic Bible, but that's another story. There's, what happened? You would think nothing. A whole bunch of stuff happened. <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff that is crucial for understanding what the kingdom of God means happened, okay? And so that's why I spent a whole message on this, going over this, but I'm going to just briefly go over the intertestamental period. First of all, some major adjustments took place, which Jesus and the New Testament writers are heirs. Okay, some language developed, some ideas developed that everybody had at the time of Jesus. So many people gave up on God doing something within history, the latter days, to bringing their hope to the fulfillment at the end of history. So, and to bring an end and to, uh, usher in an entirely new era. So if you remember what I was just talking about, they thought God was going to do this in a historical sense. He's going to have this messianic figure, the son of David, and it's going to happen within history. Long story short, they gave up on that idea. And they basically said, that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen instead is God is going to bring a cataclysmic end to history. He's going to end this present evil age, and he's going to usher in an entirely new era, and that's going to be the kingdom of God. Overthrow of Satan, overthrow of sickness and disease completely, and then God is going to rule sovereignly over his creation. Bring in a new era. In fact, I'll say that in a minute. Therefore, this is important to understand, the great day of the Lord became a thoroughly big word coming up, eschatological concept. And if you're like, what did you just say? End times. <laughs> Talking about the kingdom of God, it's uh, important to know that concept. If you read anything on the kingdom, eschatology just simply means study of the end. Eschaton means the capital E end. Okay, so what they, so instead of God doing something within history, God is going to Totally end history. Judge all of his enemies. Overthrow Satan. All sickness, disease, sin, injustice, all that's gone. God's ruling supremely. This resulted in a two-age worldview. Now this becomes important. Because you read Jesus, you read Paul, you read anybody in the New Testament. They're talking about this age and the age to come all the time because of this understanding they had coming from the intertestamental period. So they divided history in two ages. This age, this present evil age, is Satan's age. Because they looked around and they saw sin, they saw disease, they saw sickness, they saw demonic oppression, they saw injustice. So they came to the conclusion, this must be Satan's age. This is a present evil age. 
God's going to come and totally judge all of his enemies, cataclysmic end, and usher in a brand new age, the age to come, and all of that's going away. This new age became known as the kingdom of God, okay? So that's where that language comes. Everybody knew that when Jesus and John the Baptist came on the scene. So when they were saying, hey, the kingdom of God has come near, everyone was freaking out. Because they knew what that meant. They're like, oh my goodness, God's coming to judge all of his enemies. It's going to be crazy. John the Baptist is like, are you right with God? And people are like, no, what do I got to do to get right to God? The wrath of God's coming. The judgment, right? The kingdom of God's coming. That's what they're thinking. So you read John the Baptist, that makes a lot of sense because he's like, hey, beware of the wrath of God, right? And everyone's repenting. That's why, because they're like, I'm not ready for this kingdom of God. I, what do I got to do to get ready? Okay. So, the coming age is going to be the time which God rules supremely over his creation, over the affairs of mankind. Satan's age is going to be overtaken completely by God's rule. Therefore, it's this kind of understanding that the language kingdom of God arises. That's where it comes from, okay? So people had all these expectations of what that's going to look like. So when Jesus was saying the time is fulfilled, that was a big deal. Because everyone's like, oh my goodness, the time of the kingdom of God is here, right? And they're expecting a lot of stuff to happen. And, and we'll get to that in a minute. Hmm? Yeah, they, the, okay. Yes. I'll, yes, I will say that in a minute. So. I want to say this, this is important, especially with our next series. So important. The intertestamental period became known as the time of the quenched spirit. That is why there are no books in your Bible during that time. No spirit equals no prophets. They thought the spirit left Israel completely. Okay, you just read Ezekiel 10. The glory left the temple and they said, okay, no more Holy Spirit in the land. But when the kingdom of God comes, the Spirit, it's going to be evidenced, number one, by the Holy Spirit coming back. Joel 2.28. In the latter days, says the Lord, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. On and on and on. What's the significance of that? Became totally end time prophetic. When God pours out his spirit again on Israel, that means the kingdom of God has come. And all these promises about the end times are being fulfilled. That's why Peter stood up on Pentecost and said, this is to fulfill what was spoken by Joel the prophet saying, and then he quoted that. Everyone knew what that meant. That meant the kingdom of God is here because the Holy Spirit came back. Okay, so the Holy Spirit... The, right, the new age is going to be known as the age of the Spirit. The age of the Spirit. So, when Jesus came and <laughs> was anointed by the Holy Spirit, that was a big deal. Because that meant the kingdom of God is here. All the messianic promises, Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 3. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Isaiah 66, sorry, 63. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
All of those have to do with the Holy Spirit coming upon the Messiah. So they're all expecting, okay, this is what the Messiah is going to look like. He's going to be the ultimate man of the Holy Spirit. That's why the baptism in the river of John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit came on Jesus was so significant. So the coming of the Spirit was the one thing that was going to mark the division of the ages. That's the sign they were all looking for. So just for you visual people, this is kind of uh, simplified to show you what this is, this idea. This age, remember, they thought was Satan's age. They can, so, and you see this in Paul. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, for example, he says, the God of this age is blinded unbelievers. You guys recognize that? That's because they all had this idea. This is Satan's age, okay? And evil was here, oppression, demonic presence and sickness, no Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus came and what? Healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead, because that's what the overthrow of Satan looked like. All this stuff, right, was evidence that this is Satan's age. Jesus is coming, starting to overthrow the rule of Satan, the rule of Satan's age. So then the end would come in a dramatic, dynamic, cataclysmic way, and God would usher in the new age. That's, you know, the new age movement stole that word from us, that phrase. That's a Christian word, the new age, the aeon. That's a Greek word for new age. We got we to gotta redeem that, I think, because that's our word. And that's what it means. God is coming to usher in a brand new age. Okay, great reversal is going to happen, right? Um, especially the overthrow of Satan, usually dramatic and climactic, usually with the Messiah. I'm talking about the ideas they had before John the Baptist came. And this would be evidence above everything else by the coming of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so according to Jewish, remember, this is where we started. We need to understand Jewish end time expectations to know what the kingdom of God meant to them. So according, the coming age would be ushered in with a supernatural intervention. Just read the book of Revelation. You'll get an idea of what they thought it would look like, because that's kind of what it, you know, yeah. Um, Would be ushered in with a supernatural intervention, usually accompanied by a powerful Messiah who would come in triumph, restore the nation to its former glory, bring the spirit, deliver the oppressed. The time of God's rule, the kingdom of God became, that's what it was called. So when John the Baptist comes on and says, hey guys, the kingdom's here, a lot of connotations with that because they all were expecting this dramatic end of history to happen. And they waited for 400 years, expecting and hoping. And by the time John the Baptist got on the scene, they were all totally, it was that fever pitch, this idea the kingdom's going to come any minute. So imagine what it was like when John the Baptist was like, hey, repent, the kingdom of God is near In fact, in John, he says he's in our midst even. The Messiah is in our midst already. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is going to happen any second. I better repent and get right with God. Okay, so you imagine what that's like, right? And that's why when John the Baptist came, everyone's going out to see him because they're like, man, this is the guy, the fulfillment of the man calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Okay, so it was like, man, the wrath of God is going to come and it's going to be crazy. Now, Jesus then steps on the scene, gets baptized by John, and what happens? The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus. The fulfillment of all these messianic promises, the ultimate man of the Spirit. And that event marked off his messianic destiny and equipped him for his messianic task. And if you're interested, the third message I gave was all about his baptism, essentially, and the significance of it. 
But because he was the unique bearer of the Spirit, this is the evidence that the age of the Spirit was dawning, that the new age was coming, the kingdom of God. So what happens? He gets baptized, goes in the desert, led by the Spirit, it says, in the desert in Matthew 4.1. Tempted by the devil, comes back in the power of the Spirit, Luke 4.14. And then he starts preaching what? The kingdom of God is here at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Now, so this is the unique message or the uniqueness of Jesus' message is that it lies in this announcement, that this great, dynamic, cataclysmic kingdom of God that everyone was expecting to happen any minute was here now happening with him. In fact, I talked about Luke 14. You read this. First thing he does is he goes to the synagogue in Galilee, his hometown, (laughs) rolls out Isaiah 61. Sorry, that's it. Reads it. And says, the spirit of the Lord is on me, for he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And on and on and on. Then he, said, then he says what? This is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm him. <laughs> and you know what happened next? They drove him, drove him to a cliff to kill him. Because they could not believe Jesus in his hometown. Remember, hometown was the Messiah. The audacity. The audacity, hey, Jesus, you're, you're Joseph's son. You're the guy who played soccer with my son Johnny when you were teenagers. What do you mean you're the Messiah? That's why they wanted to kill him. Totally contrary to their expectations of what the Messiah was going to look like. Because the Messiah, in their uh, idea, was going to come, overthrow their hated enemy Rome, bash their heads in, right? Totally come, bring an end to history, and then Jesus comes in. Humble servant, I'm him. All these things you're expecting are fulfilled right now in, my, in your hearing. All right? So that's the uniqueness of his his message is that the kingdom's already here in his ministry. I'm the king, the kingdom's here because I'm here, says Jesus. So all the scriptures on fulfillment suggest that for Jesus himself, the kingdom of God was a present reality in his own ministry. The time is fulfilled, and everything that Jesus is and did and said was a proclamation that their hopes and expectations are coming to realization in his ministry. Now, up until now in this message, we've been talking about that first clause in Mark, the time is fulfilled. What does that mean? Now you have a brief summary of what that means, what what that meant to them. Talking about the issues people have with the kingdom of God, understanding it, why it causes a bunch of confusion. The biggest difficulty people have is with the second clause, the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, why, if you might be like, why? Why is that so difficult? I'll tell you. It's where we lose probably everybody. The second problem in the understanding of the kingdom of God is that, and this is terribly confusing, with good reason. <laughs> Scholars have argued about this for years, you know, and they still are. But the, what's terribly confusing is that Jesus speaks about the kingdom in two totally different ways. On the one hand, he speaks about the kingdom as a future event that's yet to be fulfilled. And on the other hand, he talks about it as a present reality, which we just talked about. He talks about it in 
two different ways. Now, if you think about it, according to logic, how can something be both present and future? That's where people get lost, right? Think about it. How can something be both present and future, Jesus? That doesn't make sense. Okay? So I spent the fourth and fifth message talking about one message on the future, 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 and then the other, uh, not yet, not yet, or already, 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 it's happening. If you're interested, you can listen to more on those. There. What's that? Present and future. Okay. Here's just one scripture. I'll give you another one. This scripture is one of the many that suggests for Jesus himself the kingdom of God was still going to be a future event. Luke 22, 15 and 16. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is the Last Supper. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. That, doesn't that suggest that it's not yet? It's going it's to, someday, future, it's going to find fulfillment in the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God comes. But then, look at this. Just as importantly, it's equally clear that for Jesus himself, the kingdom of God was in fact a present reality, right? That's the kingdom of God's at hand. We just talked about that. But here's just one example, Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, because remember, the Spirit's the evidence that it's here, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Already it's happening, people. Okay? This is in the Beelzebub controversy where the Pharisees are like, hey, you're driving out demons by Beelzebub, the devil. And he's like, guys. If, and then he rebukes them. <laughs> right? Royally. I got to keep on track. But, it's, but then this is what he says. Look, no kingdom divided against itself is going to stand. If this is by the Spirit, this is evidence that the kingdom of God's here right now overthrowing Satan now. The stronger man has taken over the strong man and bound him up, and now I'm in the process of cleaning house, delivering the oppressed from the enemy's stronghold, is what Jesus said. I'm overthrowing Satan, right? Because the kingdom of God's here. All right. So, this is where the problems rot. I already said this. How can something be both present and future at the same time? You know, it defies Western logic. And the reason, if you remember, I, I gave this message on January 15th, talking about the radical middle in this series, if you're interested. That whole message, I talk about reconciling this. I'm going to do it in a minute today, probably more than a minute, but if you want a whole message on this, because the importance of this is so crucial, not only for understanding the kingdom of God, but every single paradox in scripture, because there's a lot of them. And we're called to live in that with truth and tension, with the radical middle. And that's crucial for understanding, to, for staying on the path of life, and for understanding the whole New Testament. Okay? Trying to reconcile this is, is, is essential. And that's, that's why I repeat myself and been on this for, since November. Right? Trying to help us grapple with these. This, this paradox is crucial, but every paradox, seeming contradictions, are just as important, and you have to hold them in tension in the same way as this. But in the message on January 15th, how do you reconcile that is both present and future? And I'm going to try in a couple minutes, okay? The way forward, and there is a way forward, is with what Jesus calls the mystery of the kingdom of God. How many of you recognize that, the phrase from the parables, Matthew 13? The mystery of the kingdom. 
In fact, in a message of four weeks ago, I talked all about the parables on the kingdom because a lot of them deal with this. Already, not yet. What I'm about to talk about, the mystery of the kingdom. This has two sides to it. The kingdom, Jesus says, in a variety of ways, is already at work, dynamically present in his own ministry. We talked about this now. The blessing of the coming age is happening now. The overthrow of Satan is happening now, right? I'm casting out demons, overthrowing Satan's rule right now. The second, and this is the one that everyone had difficulties with and still has difficulties with, and you just read the book of Corinthians. That was their main difficulty. They could not fathom that the Messiah came in weakness. That's the second part of the mystery, is that it's, the kingdom is present in weakness in Jesus. Think about how contrary this was to their expectations. The Messiah is this powerful figure who's going to come and overthrow Rome. All God's enemies gone from this powerful Messiah, right? Glory, honor, majesty, right? This is their category for the Messiah. Jesus comes as a humble, suffering servant. That is an oxymoron. That's the ultimate oxymoron, suffering servant, Messiah. Suffering Messiah does not go together in their expectations. This is why so many people had a problem with Jesus. They just could not grab. Even his closest companions till the end could not fathom what he was doing. Till the end. They just, no clue. John the Baptist could not fathom what he was doing. You read Matthew 11, 1 to 13. John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus and the Holy Spirit came and he said, this is the Messiah, sends his disciples and said, are you the coming one? Or do we expect someone else? Because you sure don't look like the guy I've been prophesying about. The guy who's bringing wrath and judgment and overthrowing these Romans who have me in prison right now. You're supposed to be setting the captives free. And here I am captive. Are you him? Because you sure do not look like him. And what does Jesus do? Quotes Isaiah 61. You tell John this. What? The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Right? Yeah, the poor get the good news preached to them, quoting Isaiah 61, saying, I'm him, fulfilling this right now. That's the evidence. Still couldn't come to terms with it. And that's part of the mystery of the kingdom. The first part is that this dynamic inbreaking of the rule of God that they're all expecting is, and, uh, and they're looking for had already begun with Jesus of Nazareth. And the great day of the future has broken into the present already with Jesus. God has already stepped on the human scene, begun to rule on Jesus and others. In other words, it's the beginning of the end. The kingdom of God is here now, people. The end has already begun in me, says Jesus. Okay. So remember this. 400 years are expecting this, this something. <laughs> this cataclysmic end. And then this humble servant from Nazareth, fisherman, right? Hung out with a bunch of newfies saying, I'm him. They scratching their heads. What? 
You can't be. You can't be that guy we've been waiting for 400 years, right? A suffering Messiah. I already talked about How can you be him? No way. What, what happened with Matthew 13? When, when Jesus like, who do people say I am? And Peter says, you're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And he says, good for you, Peter. You, the father revealed this to you. What happens the next second? Jesus then says, hey, guys, I'm going to go suffer at the hands, right? Be crucified. And Peter says what? No way, Lord. Not going to happen. Not going to happen because you're the Messiah. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> the, ne- the next second, right? First, hey, awesome, Peter. I'm going to build my, ho- my church on this revelation you got. Next second, get behind me, Satan. Because they could not fathom a suffering Messiah. They just couldn't. Totally outside of their categories. They just can't understand what he's doing. So this is the... Oh, I had these mixed... No, I didn't. Here we go. The second part of the mystery of the kingdom is that it comes in the ways we least expect it. Okay, just think about it. Weakness, sacrifice, suffering, (laughs) the cross... The ultimate shame of their day. You know the, cru- the, cruci- the cross was a swear word in uh, Rome. There's literature that says they don't, it's a, it was a dirty word because that was the most horrendous, horrific death anyone could suffer. Only insurrectionists and slaves died the death of a cross. And their Messiah died by a cross? No way. Right? They, that's what... The, it's, Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 1 foolishness. It's foolishness to Greeks, right? Stumbling block because they cannot wrap their heads around. It would be like us these days saying, hey, you know, John, I'm making up a name. We'll say Steve, the guy who went to the electric chair and died. Good news. He's our Messiah. The guy who went to the electric chair and died a couple years ago. Good news. Right? Good news. People are like, what? You just think about how foolish that would be in our day. You'd be like, okay, you know. It was foolishness to them. Okay? But they've been set up for something else. They were set up for glory and honor and majesty and dominion. And here comes a suffering servant Messiah. Dying the ultimate shame, the ultimately shameful uh, way of dying, the cross. And Jesus teaches that the kingdom doesn't come the way we're looking. This is why Jesus says a whole bunch of interesting things in his parables. It makes, uh, his parables make a lot of sense. This is the mystery of the kingdom, right? And I gave a whole message on this if you're interested. But here's just two sentences. Think about what he says. The kingdom of God's like a mustard seed, the smallest seed, the smallest of seeds. It's humble. But when it's fully grown, it's the greatest of garden herbs. In fact, birds can perch on it. Talking about the kingdom. Think about it. Right now, I'm a mustard seed. The kingdom's coming with me, Jesus says. But in the consummation, it's going to be a tree. It's like leaven, right? It doesn't look like anything, but somehow when it's placed in the dough, the whole thing's penetrated by it. It contrasts the beginning from the end. The mystery of the kingdom. So the point is that the dynamic kingdom's already present, okay? But in what seems small and insignificant, 
in veiled power. There is a great and final future to be sure to the kingdom, but it's the consummation of what's already begun. It's what's already that is not yet. (laughs) The already not yet. So with Jesus' understanding of his ministry, we have the essential framework of the entire New Testament. Right? And for the last three messages, I gave two messages on Paul the Apostle talking about this already not yet perspective. The altered eschatological perspective, we called it. Okay, Because everybody had to shift the way they looked at what the end times was going to look like. Okay, So for him, the kingdom is clearly already both already and not yet. Jesus understood the kingdom to be inaugurated, initiated with himself, but it's yet to be consummated in its fullness at his second coming. It's already, but not yet. Okay, so the kingdom was already making its way felt in the world because the king had already come. Jesus has already come, and where the king is, the kingdom is. It's not yet in the sense that what we've begun is not yet reached its final consummation, the fullness of it. The kingdom of God was inaugurated at the first coming of Christ. It's to be consummated at his second coming. So, the point though is, it's already. That changes everything. Changes the way we live. Changes the way we look at life. Because that changes everything. That's why our single message as disciples is the kingdom of God is here. That's all Jesus told his disciples to preach. The kingdom of God is here. Here's the evidence. Okay, that's the point of the whole New Testament, that God's rule has already begun in our world in the present evil age, right? He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1.12. It has already made its presence known. The spirit has already come and is available to all God's people. The (laughs) The only indicator of whether you're saved or not is whether you have the spirit. I'm talking scripturally now. It's the only demarcation of whether you're a Christian or not. Right? Paul says in Romans 8, 9, those who don't have the spirit of Christ don't belong to Christ because the Holy Spirit is the one thing that determines whether you're a Christian or not. So that's how important it is. That's what, why? Because it, it's the new covenant of the spirit. And we'll talk about that more someday. And we talked about it a few weeks ago. But anyway, it's not something that's yet to come. It's something that's already taken place. It's already here. Look at the scriptures like this, these mysterious scriptures. This is just one of them. But I like this one because it has already not yet in it. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now, already, now we are the children of God. Amen. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall, future tense, be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Think about what this is saying. Already, we are what we're going to be, but we are not yet what we're going to be. Everything in the New Testament is predicated on that reality, if you believe it or not. It makes a whole bunch of mysterious scriptures make sense, because there's this tension of the already not yet all throughout scripture. We went through Paul and John uh, showing this. So, the diagram I showed you, we, I called it in the past the altered eschatological perspective, because everybody in the early church had to change their end time idea. Jesus made everything change. Okay? With this already not yet. 
This age and the age to come, we're now dealing with an eschaton, the end. That isn't a day, a dramatic ending to history. It's a long period of time. Longer than what they expected. Like, what is it? 2,000 years still. The day of the Lord. We're in it. We're dealing with the fact that the kingdom's begun and it's yet to be consummated. So it went from this. You remember this diagram I showed you? This is their idea when Jesus came, essentially, to this. Okay? For you visual people. So when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, Satan entered. And what? Sin entered. And it became the fall. Satan's age it became known as. Evil, sin, sickness, you name it. Okay? And, and the present evil age, Satan's age, until Jesus came. The first coming of Christ. The first line there. Then the age to come broke into history, broke into this present evil age, and we're in the last days. Now, already not yet, okay? So we are supposed to live the future age to come now in the present, already but not yet. We're supposed to show the world what heaven's like. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, right? Pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything in our life is determined by the future. Because we're supposed to be living that in the present. Remember, it's the age of the Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit. So we're supposed to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, because the age of the Spirit's come now. We are God's eschatological end-time people, living in the present age to show people what heaven's like, so that we can give them an invitation to join the party. Then in the second coming of Christ, that expectation that they had that God's going to totally overthrow Satan, totally overthrow sickness, disease, all of that is still yet to come. And then it's going to be the kingdom of God in its fullness. The consummation is going to happen. Eternity. Right? That is, a bit, that is a good framework for, or basic framework for understanding the New Testament. So the coming of the kingdom with Jesus and the Spirit resulted in this Altered eschatological perspective. Radically altered. The Old Testament, all remember, looked forward to a promised new covenant which will take place in the latter days, which has now been filled in Christ in the Spirit. Therefore, we come to the New Testament, the latter days, and, are, and they're now understood in this thoroughly end-time eschatological way, as the last days. These are the last days we're in right now, even though it's been 2,000 years. And this is good news. Why? Because God's already manifested his reign, his will, his kingdom in the coming of Christ. In the flesh. And we can experience the life of the kingdom here and now. That's the point. We are supposed to experience the life of the present, or future in the present now. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount's about. That's what everything is determined by the future. Live like kingdom people. Live like you're in heaven now on earth. Show people what heaven's like. Proclaim God's rule is manifested already. Submit yourself to God's rule is what it's all about. Living the life of the future now in the present. But the end's only begun. We still await the final event, the second coming of Jesus, at which time we too will experience the resurrection and transformation of the body. So to conclude, to bring it all together, because that's a lot, I understand, if you haven't been here. Bringing it all together. The kingdom of God, to answer the question, what's the kingdom of God? Is the rule of God. It's God's reign, his divine sovereignty in action. 
Okay? God's reign manifests itself both in the future and the present. And this is why the gospels speak of entering the kingdom both today and tomorrow. Right? Future and present. But we live between the times. Already the future's begun. Not yet has it been consummated in its fullness. So therefore the kingdom's both already, not yet. Jesus coming set the future in motion. The coming age is dawned. And we await the consummation at his second coming. The key point, which I've already said, is as Christians, we're called to be living the life of the future, now in the present. The time of the age of the Spirit, now in the present. Heaven on earth is how we're supposed to be living. Kingdom people. So from the New Testament perspective, the whole Christian existence and theology has this eschatological end time tension as its basic framework. So we have to end applied. How should we live in light of all this? Right? How should we live with the fact that the kingdom of God is present here and now in this present evil age? Remember, Matthew, this is an imperative. This is Jesus commanding us to seek first his kingdom. How are we supposed to do that if we don't know what the kingdom is? Now we know what it is. So what are the implications? What does that mean for us? What's the purpose? Right? How are we to live in light of the kingdom being present now? Jesus summarizes his own instructions to his disciples, which hopefully we all are, disciples of Jesus, in terms of the kingdom of God, always. He always does it in terms of the kingdom. Just one example. When he sends out the 12, similar instructions with the 72. This is all he says. This is his instructions. As you go, proclaim this one message. This is it. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's it. That's the only thing he tells them. The kingdom of heaven's here. Then what? Demonstrate it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. It's a free gift. Thank God. Grace. Think about all those. The overthrow of Satan began with Christ. We're supposed to, as the army of God, continue overthrowing Satan's dominion. How do we do it? Casting out demons, raising the dead, healing the sick, right? Proclaiming the good news to the poor. Forgiveness. Right? Forgiveness. You have forgiveness of sins through the redemption of Jesus. Think about the Great Commission. This is to everybody. At the end of Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, not converts. We've done a good job of making converts. He doesn't tell us ever to make converts. He says, make disciples of all nations. How? baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to what? The very end of the age. We talked about this age and the age to come. Think about this. Everything I've commanded you. What did we just read? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Raise the dead. All the stuff is part of his commands. So is the Sermon on the Mount and all the imperatives of living the life of the future now and the present by the power of the Holy Spirit. Live like heaven. Show people what heaven's like. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, you are right now citizens of heaven. This isn't even our home. We're supposed to live as heaven citizens now showing people what heaven's like. That's what it's all about. The kingdom of God is here and we're supposed to live that way. And this is where we come in. 
As kingdom disciples, we must spread the kingdom, God's rule, wherever we go and make other kingdom disciples. That's what it's all about, okay? So, how? By praying. How does Jesus tell us to pray? A few ahead, Jennifer, I think. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A few ahead. Think about it. God, what's God's will? That it be on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's saying. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you just ask the question, what's heaven like? What's heaven look like? There's no sickness in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. There's no disease in heaven. There's definitely no demons in heaven. So we're supposed to pray, <laughs> your kingdom come, your will be done. That's applicable. Heaven on earth. That's our prayer life. Heaven come, your will be done in this situation as it is in heaven. A few head. Oh. That's okay. Prayer. Here, I can help you. So the first is prayer. Thank you so much. Jennifer's amazing. She does projection almost every day. And get this, she puts up with me. How does she do that? I don't know. All these slides and man, oh man. I'm impressed, Jennifer. Oh my goodness. Oh, here we go. So first of all, how do we do this? Prayer. Secondly, proclaiming. That's what Jesus says. Hey, kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> prayer, proclaiming it, and then demonstrating Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely, uh, freely receive, freely give. And cleanse, okay? So, all oh right, I'm doing it now. <laughs> Jesus, now think about this, we're disciples. Jesus' disciples are determined. We are determined by, not by their present realities, not by the present evil age, not by your present circumstances, but by the coming kingdom. Our lives are determined by the fact that God's rule is right here and now. Okay? And we're to live the life of the future in the present, the life of heaven now. And this is what Jesus is all about. Bringing the future now into the present Marking our lives, okay? Stamping us with eternity. Identifying us forever as his own. Future right now. We're God's future kingdom people. But in the present context, living that out. What does that mean? Living the values of heaven now. Living the life of the future now. Already but not yet. And that's, if you guys remember, I did a whole series on eternity last year. If you're interested, you can, iTunes or our website. Spent like six, almost six months on it. We're supposed to live the life of the future now. And we're going to be judged based on how we do that. That's another story for another day. This is it. Remember, Matthew, that's right, I'm doing this, 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, not salvation, the gospel of the kingdom. Don't get me wrong, salvation is part of that. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's our mandate. That the kingdom would be spread to all nations and then the end would come. That God's rule would be spread to all nations and then the end has come. So... To wrap up this series, 
Let's do our part to seek first the kingdom and to spread the gospel of the kingdom everywhere we go. That's our mandate from Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kingdom. We thank you so much that your kingdom and your rule and your sovereign divine will is being manifested right here now through Christ and the Spirit in our lives. And Lord, we just thank you for the honor and privilege it is to live the life of heaven now in the present, to live the life of the future now. We just ask God that we would live as your end times people, the people of the future, now in the present evil age, showing people how good you are, how good your kingdom is, how good your reign is, so that we would reign and rule in Christ completely completely as marked by eternity here and now. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us eternal life here and now, that we would live that eternal life by your spirit and show people how good you are, show people how loving you are, show people the blessing of the future kingdom now manifested in the present. God, we just ask for the grace to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Thank you that you've freely given this us to us by grace and that we freely get to give to others by grace. Lord, we just thank you for an increase in the revelation of your kingdom. We thank you that you've rescued us for the dominion of darkness. You brought us into the kingdom of the son you love and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we just ask that you show us how we are to live in light of the fact that you came. The king is here. Your kingdom is here. And we are to live by your spirit, walk by your spirit, be led by your spirit, right here and now, the age of the spirit in the present evil age, showing people what heaven's like. We just ask for that grace to continue in that revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you would like prayer...